I'm Mike Wilkerson, producer of the Free Field Training Podcast, and you're listening to Presidential Bio via the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. He is the first president to ever leave the country while in office. He is the first president to win the Nobel Peace Prize. He's the first president to ride in a submarine, the first president to own a car, and he renamed the executive mansion the White House. He's the first to send a telegram as part of international diplomacy. He's the first president to invite a black man to dinner at the White House. We are talking about President Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States, Inside Presidential Bio, here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. The Early Years Teddy Roosevelt is born on October 27, 1858, in New York City, to Mr. Theodore Roosevelt and Martha Bullock Roosevelt. And Teddy is the second of four children. His oldest sister, Bammy, will play a role, a very important role in his life, as will his younger brother, Elliot. And Elliot, real quickly, he is the father of Eleanor Roosevelt, which we all know who Eleanor Roosevelt is, the wife of the future president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, so we know how important Elliot is here. And he also has a younger sister who isn't, there isn't much written about her, but her name is Corinne. So the Roosevelt family is a very wealthy and very well-respected family in New York City. Teddy Roosevelt represents the seventh generation of Roosevelts to be born on Manhattan Island. And going back that far, you can only imagine the prestige that the Roosevelt family name holds in New York. And his father, Theodore Sr., was Teddy Roosevelt's hero. He looked up to his father. He respected his father. His father ran the family business, which was a plate glass import business. But his father also had a variety of investments and holdings in real estate, in banking interests, and even in other imports such as sugar. Even though he was a man of society, Teddy's father, Theodore Sr., was a very generous man, and he believed that it was his duty to help other people in the community. And he donated time and money to a variety of charities, some of them being the Children's Aid Society. He helped to found the Museum of Natural History in New York, and also donated to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And this generosity and duty to help others will serve Teddy well because he wants to emulate his father. And it is reflected in Teddy's dealings with the public when he is a governor, as well as president of the United States. Now, Teddy's mother is Martha Bullock Roosevelt, and she also comes from a prestigious family, but a family from the South. She grew up on a plantation in Georgia, surrounded by slaves. So when the Civil War breaks out, Mrs. Roosevelt's brothers would join the fight on the Confederate side, and they would end up taking leadership roles in the Confederate Navy. In turn, Martha Roosevelt pleads with her husband, Theodore Roosevelt, to not fight in the war, do not join the Union side, and fight against her beloved South. And Theodore Sr. agrees and pays someone to fight in his stead. Now, this is something that is quite common at that time. Wealthy people would not go off to war. They would pay for someone else to do the fighting for them. However, Theodore Sr. would regret this decision his entire life. 
and Teddy would never understand why his father did not fight. And in Teddy's eyes, this was the only flaw that his father ever had in his life. When we look at Teddy as a boy, he was very frail, and he had acute asthma. So he was not a very healthy young man. As a matter of fact, several doctors had visited with the family and said that this boy would not have a long life. Teddy, when he was younger, would stay indoors for the most part. He was a voracious reader, a very smart individual, and was very big on collecting different pets. So he had a variety of pets from birds, mice, turtles, and these were his little buddies. When a few of them would start to die off as a young man, he turned to taxidermy because he didn't want them to go away. So he ended up learning taxidermy and stuffing some of his favorite pets and keeping them for display in his room and in the family house. When Teddy was six, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. When Lincoln was assassinated, they had a procession through different towns, through different major cities, so people could pay their last respects to President Lincoln. And there is a famous picture that if you haven't seen it, you really should look this picture up online. There is a picture in New York City where Lincoln's coffin is going down the street, and in the upper left-hand corner of the picture is the Roosevelt household. In the corner window, you see two little figures. There's two boys there. It's Teddy Roosevelt and his younger brother, Elliot. And this is later verified by Teddy Roosevelt's second wife, Edith Caro, who was a lifelong friend of his because she was in the room at that time and the picture was taken. You don't see her in the photo, but she is there. It's just an interesting intersection between two great presidents in American history. So as I mentioned, Teddy is of poor health. But as he gets older, he works to overcome the burden of asthma. And his father goes as far as to build a small workout room in the house for him. Now, it's not a workout room like we might expect where you have a treadmill or an elliptical and some weights. This was more of uh, the gymnastics type of equipment, right? There were parallel bars. There were rings. There was a balance beam. And it was a case that they set that up so he could start doing some conditioning and work on his breathing. He even goes as far as to learn how to box. And he did the boxing for two reasons. One, for conditioning. But secondly, he did it because when he was younger, he was bullied because he was so frail that he couldn't fight. And he was sick and tired of his younger brother, Elliot, having to stick up for him all the time. So this way, he knew he could start to defend himself as he starts to develop into a young man. So at the age of 14... He's starting to grow, and his health is getting better, and his father buys him his first gun and takes him out hunting. Teddy Roosevelt is a horrible shot, and his father doesn't understand why, because his brother Elliot is a very good shot, and Theodore Sr. is a very good shot. Well, they realize the plain and simple truth is he needed glasses, and they go to the doctor, and he gets these glasses, and from there on, most of the pictures you see of Teddy Roosevelt, he has glasses on almost all the time, except when there are pictures of him with his team sports when he goes to school at Harvard. At 15, Roosevelt starts to create a great zest for life. He is always on the move. He's running, he's riding horses, he's shooting guns, he's reading, and he's even reciting poetry. And many times, he is found reciting poetry to his childhood friend and future wife, Edith Caro. 
Roosevelt is an individual who believes in action. He wants to do things. He wants to accomplish things. And he felt you should not be idle. He is often heard saying, both as a young politician and then later as governor and president, to get action, meaning we need to take action. We can't sit idly by on the sidelines and hoping things go our way. We need to get action. So in 1876, he's at the age of 18 now. He's actually a little younger than 18, but he heads off to Harvard. Teddy makes friends very easily and immerses himself in his studies and in college life. He's part of the boxing team. He's on the newspaper. He gets elected to Phi Beta Kappa, and there are several other prestigious clubs at Harvard that he is a member of. He's enjoying his college life, and then he gets a message in February of 1878 telling him that his father is dying. His father has cancer of the bowels, and Teddy is up at school in Harvard, which is in Boston, and he races home to New York City to be with his father, to see his father, and he does not make it. His father passes away before Teddy gets there. Teddy is absolutely devastated. Theodore Roosevelt Sr., his father, was his friend. He was his role model. He was his idol. And this really affects Teddy for the next year. Teddy is deep in mourning, and he is not his himself. And that happens in February. Let's move forward now to the summer of 1878. He's in Oyster Bay. He is sullen. He is quick-tempered. And he gets into this tremendous fight with Edith Caro, who I've mentioned now, who later becomes his wife. But at the time, they do not speak to each other. It is going to take many years to mend this relationship after that argument. Many other people are distancing themselves from Teddy because he is just not himself. Teddy, with his father's passing away, also receives a sizable inheritance. And after the end of that summer, he decides he's just going back to Harvard and he wants to finish his studies. He goes back to Harvard and in his free time, and I like this, in his free time, he decides to write a 490-page history on the Naval Battle of 1812. T.R. is fascinated with the Navy and with ships. And if you remember, I mentioned earlier, his uncles on his mother's side served in the Confederate Navy, and he was just enamored with the Navy and naval battles. But he's also enamored at this time of his life with a new young lady that he meets at a friend's house, and her name is Alice Lee, and instantly he falls in love with her. They date during his senior year at Harvard, and she finally agrees to marry him after he graduates from Harvard, and he does. He graduates from Harvard magna cum laude. The couple then marries in the fall of 1880 in Brookline, Mass., and they make plans to build a home in Oyster Bay on Long Island, and Teddy names the home Lee Home in his wife's honor. Young Adulthood. So Teddy is married now, and he's 22, and he decides to attend Columbia Law School, and he decides not to join the family business. But before his first full year of law school is done, he decides to drop out and pursue a position in the New York State Assembly. Roosevelt wins and is the youngest man ever elected to the Assembly. He is 23 years of age. Now at this time in American history, it's important to realize that men of society, elite men like Teddy Roosevelt, politics was considered beneath them. But he felt it was his duty to go into politics and help those people out who needed his assistance. Teddy felt that he could push municipal reform bills 
that would improve life for the working man, woman, and child, and help rid politics of corruption. So Roosevelt, for his efforts, is reelected. Matter of fact, he's reelected twice, and he is really gaining a lot of praise in the state of New York. And by the age of 26, he is the best known Republican in the state of New York. As Teddy is serving in the State House in Albany, New York, it is February the 13th, 1884. And Teddy receives a telegram from home. His wife, Alice, has given birth to their daughter, whom they name Alice. And Roosevelt is elated and receives well wishes throughout the State House. Just a few hours later, another telegram arrives. His wife has had complications from the delivery and he must come home. He races home on the train. And to give you a perspective, so Albany is about a three and a half, four hour drive from New York City. He gets on a train and there's fog and it takes almost five hours for him to get from Albany to New York City. He arrives at midnight and his brother Elliot meets him at the door with the ominous words, there is a curse on this house. And he informs Teddy that not only is his wife, but their mother is dying as well. Their mother has typhoid fever, and Alice is suffering from kidney failure. At 3 a.m. the next morning, February the 14th, 1884, Teddy Roosevelt's mother dies. At 2 p.m. the same day, his wife, Alice, dies. In Roosevelt's pocket diary, he places an X on February the 14th and writes, The light has gone out of my life. Just three days after both funerals, Roosevelt decides to return to Albany and immerse himself in work. He puts his house up for sale, and he asks his older sister, Bammy, to care for his daughter, Alice. Roosevelt is devastated and the loss of his wife and mother. He never speaks of his wife, Alice, again. After some thought, he decides not to run for re-election. His heart is not in the state assembly anymore. He instead decides he needs to change his life. He decides to head west. He had made an investment in some cattle out in the badlands of North Dakota, and he thought that this could be his refuge. Bammy, his sister, will serve as Alice's guardian while Teddy is gone. In the summer of 1884, Teddy is out of place in North Dakota with these other ranch hands and ranchers. He is a city guy, and he just does not fit the mold out there. Many of the ranchers and ranch hands call him Four Eyes until one of them calls him Four Eyes to his face and Roosevelt knocks him senseless. He starts to gain respect. He starts to drive cattle. He hunts birds and elk and even hunts a bear. Roosevelt loves his new life, this new adventure and his heavy investment in cattle. But unfortunately, this does not last long. About two, two and a half years later, he decides that he is done with the ranching business and he needs to look back to his life in New York. And the timing is interesting because that winter in 1886, the winter is so harsh that it kills most of the cattle that he has invested in. A few months earlier in August of 1886, it is published in the New York City newspapers that Teddy Roosevelt is to be married to Edith Caro. And the Roosevelt family is shocked. They have, they didn't, they never heard any of this from Teddy. They, they think it's a mistake. His sister, Bammy, even calls the New York Times and asks them to retract that because it's not true. And Roosevelt, Teddy, comes to her and says, no, it is true. I'm going to marry Edith. A few months later, in December of 1886, 
he marries his longtime friend, Edith Caro, and they set off on a three-month honeymoon before returning back to New York. When they come back to New York, they move into the house that he originally built for his first wife, the home that he called Lee Home, and decides that he is going to change the name of the house to Sagamore Hill. Sagamore is the Algonquin word for chieftain. Edith, his wife, then asked Teddy if Alice, his daughter from his first marriage, can come live with them and raise her as her own daughter. And Teddy is elated. But his sister, Bammy, is heartbroken. She is a single woman, and she has been watching over Alice for the past several years and has embraced Alice as her own daughter. But she comes to live with Teddy and Edith and start this new family in Sagamore. In September 1887, Teddy and Edith have their first child together, and this is Theodore Roosevelt III, but he is referred to as Teddy Jr. So you have Teddy Roosevelt, the president. His father was Teddy Sr. Teddy Roosevelt was Teddy Jr. and then Theodore Roosevelt III. Within the next decade, they have four more children, Kermit, Ethel, Archie, and Quentin. Sagamore Hill is a perfect place for them to raise this family and a unique place to visit whenever you are on Long Island. The house for the next 30 years will be considered his office and headquarters even during his presidency. After the failure of the cattle business, Roosevelt turns to writing in 1888 and starts a four-volume set called Winning the West. Roosevelt is just 30 years of age. Professional life. During the election of 1888, Roosevelt campaigns hard for Benjamin Harrison for president. After the election, Teddy is rewarded for his support with an appointment by President Harrison to the Civil Service Commission in Washington, D.C. Roosevelt goes to D.C. and he is so well respected for his job serving on this commission. He didn't play favorites. He was very even-handed, tried to make the the playing field even for everyone and tried to help everyone out. As a matter of fact, he is viewed as being so even-handed and fair that Harrison's successor, Democrat Grover Cleveland, asked Roosevelt to stay on in the post. In 1891, Teddy's brother Elliot is in an insane asylum in Paris, and Teddy agrees that he is not of sound mind and he cannot manage his affairs. Elliot, as I mentioned earlier, is the father of Eleanor Roosevelt, the future wife of Teddy's fifth cousin and the future president of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. At the age of 34, Elliot succumbs to his mental illness and alcoholism by committing suicide in 1894. And this, again, is a devastating blow to Teddy Roosevelt. He was very close to his brother. He loved his brother, and the family originally thought that Elliot was the one who was most likely to succeed within the family. And Teddy feels so bad for Elliot and his short life and for his children, especially Eleanor. And he embraces Eleanor, and Eleanor really becomes his, his favorite niece. In May of 1895, Teddy takes on a new post. He comes back to New York to serve as a commissioner on the New York City Police Department. He's appointed by the mayor, and he is asked by the mayor to help clean up the department. And this, again, this appointment is based on the wonderful job he did with the Civil Service Commission. Teddy is well-received at first, 
until he pushes the police to enforce the laws, including closing the taverns on Sunday. You have to realize it was a different time. Here we are in the late 1800s. You have the police. A lot of the police are immigrants, and they're not making a great living. And sometimes something like a tavern owner would bribe a local police officer just to turn a blind eye so that he could keep his bar open that Sunday. When Roosevelt says, no, we need to enforce these laws, he doesn't realize that he is creating a lot of enemies with the German laborers that live in the city. These German laborers are working 12, 14, 16 hours a day, six days a week. The only day they have off, the only day that they can lift a stein of beer with their brethren is at a tavern on a Sunday. So Roosevelt demands that they close all the taverns. He gets his way, but in turn, all of these German laborers start supporting the Democrats in the next election. And this is (laughs) where Teddy learns where he should be picking his fights and where he shouldn't be picking his fights. Now, while Roosevelt serves the two-year term as a police commissioner, he campaigns in favor of William McKinley for president. After McKinley's election, Roosevelt lobbies the president for the position of Assistant Secretary of the Navy, and he is appointed to the post in 1897. And this, as I mentioned earlier with his love affair with the Navy and with ships, he is just ecstatic over the fact that he has finally risen to this position of Assistant Secretary of the Navy. During his time in D.C., Roosevelt gives a number of speeches, and in a speech to the War College, Roosevelt states that we will take our place in the arena. With the British Empire on the decline, we will fill the void. He is already talking foreign policy. He is already talking about how great America is and how much greater we can be in the world. He gives another speech where Roosevelt feels that no European country should have a foothold in the New World, meaning North America, and even suggests at one point that we take Canada from the British. But of course, that does not happen. In 1895, Roosevelt is made aware of the Cuban rebels fighting for independence against Spain, and he feels we should intervene to help liberate Cuba. This falls on deaf ears, and the president does not want to interfere there. And in 1898, the U.S. battleship Maine is blown up in Havana Harbor, and 266 Americans die. President McKinley is very slow to react to this. McKinley was a veteran of the Civil War, and he was involved in a number of bloody battles, and he knows how devastating war can be and did not want the U.S. to get into another battle where young men are dying. Nonetheless, the U.S. Congress declares war, and Roosevelt immediately contacts the U.S. Navy and tells them to sail into Havana Harbor and destroy the Spanish fleet, which they do without losing one American life. Roosevelt is now 39. He is the father of six, and he feels he needs to take action in this war. He leaves the naval office, and he joins the Army as a lieutenant colonel. He serves with Leonard Wood, and they create a special fighting force, later known as the Rough Riders and they train in Texas before being dispatched to Cuba. Teddy has these visions of grandeur, that he is going to lead this team into battle, and that he will be a war hero. And he fulfills that goal. He fulfills what he aspires to. But this trip to Cuba does not go well. They lose half their supplies. 
They lose their horses. When they get there, they're disheveled. He's got to reassemble the troops. He's got to try and get new supplies. And while he's trying to do this, they start running into skirmishes with the Spanish in Cuba. As they are fighting, he finally assembles his team and he tells them that this battle is going up on San Juan Hill and we are going to take Kettle Hill. And this is the famous ride of the Rough Riders where they go up Kettle Hill and they surprise the Spaniards and then they keep riding up San Juan Hill to victory. And at this time, two amazing things are happening. One, they are completely outnumbered, but they believe in their leader, Teddy Roosevelt, as they charge up their hill. They take enormous losses, but they win the hill. In addition, they are being supported by another regiment. That regiment that is supporting them is an all-black American force that is fighting side-by-side side with Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders. Roosevelt feels that his service and this victorious battle vindicates his father for not having fought in the Civil War. And it puts Roosevelt in the limelight. While he is still in Cuba, there are calls for him to run for governor of New York. Roosevelt returns from Cuba in August of 1898, and he takes the nomination for governor and campaigns rigorously, winning the office by less than 1%. He is inaugurated in 1899, and Roosevelt takes on the office of governor with his signature gusto. He focuses on limiting working hours for women and children. He improves sweatshop conditions. He raises taxes on businesses. He preserves forests in upstate New York, and he starts to hold press conferences daily to keep his middle-class political base updated on his actions. And he does all this in less than six months. It is later in 1899, again, this is his first year as governor, that President McKinley's vice president dies, and Roosevelt is asked to run for vice president. Roosevelt accepts, and he works hard to help McKinley win re-election, even though Roosevelt felt that this post of vice president would kill his political career. It is now September 1901. Roosevelt is on vacation, and his family is in upstate New York. A few days earlier, an anarchist shot President McKinley. At first, it is said that the president will be fine, but Roosevelt then receives a note to hurry to the president that gangrene has set in and the president is doomed. Roosevelt does not get to Buffalo, New York in time, and President McKinley is dead. Roosevelt is sworn in as president on September the 14th, 1901, the youngest president in American history. He is just 42 years old. Before we break, a little trivia for you to think about. In 1907, while staying at a Nashville hotel, Teddy Roosevelt was asked by the proprietor, how do you like the coffee, Mr. President? The president responds, good to the last drop. Can you name that hotel and coffee blend that uses this slogan today? We will be back on Presidential Bio. This is Phil Tracy coming to you from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. 
So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. We are back on Presidential Bio. Coming to you from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, I'm Phil Tracy. The Presidency of Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt is a man of action. He is viewed as a celebrity. People clamor to see him in person and hear him speak. In his new position as leader of the free world, he rolls up his sleeves and gets to work. Roosevelt understands the power of the press, and he uses it to his advantage as president. He does this to get his plan out to the American people. One of Roosevelt's first acts was to address Congress, asking them to curb the power of large corporations. And back in this day, large corporations were known as trusts. And these trusts controlled the railroads, they controlled coal production, oil production, iron, copper, and a variety of other goods important to the U.S. during this time of the Industrial Revolution. In 1902, Roosevelt faces his first crisis. It is the coal strike. Americans are dependent upon coal, and coal workers were working 16 hours a day in unsafe mines with low pay and owners opposed to change. The workers strike, and the management refuses to hear their grievances. Coal prices skyrocket, and the president intervenes, calling on a meeting between the workers and the coal companies. Roosevelt says that he will take over the mines with the U.S. Army and the mine owners back down immediately. They refuse to recognize the unions, but agree that they will increase wages and they will reduce the workday from 16 hours to nine hours. Roosevelt is the first president to mediate a labor dispute. This leadership helps the Republicans maintain the majority in Congress at the midterm elections of 1902 after his first year in office. Roosevelt has a foreign policy that follows the Western African proverb, speak softly and carry a big stick. And we start to see this in 1903 when we talk about the Panama Canal. 
The French had abandoned their efforts to build a canal in the Panama province, which was controlled by the country of Colombia. So the U.S. buys the rights to the canal from the French, and Roosevelt sees this as a key expansion for the U.S. and also as a great access point for our U.S. Navy to go around the world. He makes a deal with Colombia, and he sends an offer through the Secretary of State saying, Colombia, we will pay you $10 million and an annual rental fee to build this canal through this Panama province. But the Colombia Congress uh, rejects it, and they get greedy, and they ask for double the amount. And Roosevelt is outraged. The Colombian Senate will not budge. They want $20 million, and Roosevelt says, we're not paying that amount. Roosevelt, speaking softly and carrying a big stick, knows that there are Panamanian rebels who want independence from Colombia. So he contacts the rebels. He doesn't personally, but through his entourage, they contact the rebels to let them know, hey, if you decide you want to fight for independence and you want to get your own country going against Colombia, just so you know, we have your back. So sure enough, the Panamanian rebels declare their independence, and the U.S. sends a cruiser with troops into Panama. Right away, within 72 hours, the battle is over. The Colombians back down, and the U.S. recognize the nation of Panama, and work begins on the canal. Roosevelt leaves the U.S. to see the project firsthand and even runs some of the machinery. And this is shocking to the American people. No president has ever left the United States, much different than today, where the president is traveling all over the world. This is the first president, and he is the 26th president of the United States. The first one, while seated in office, leaves the country, and in this case, travels to Panama. It is 1904, and it is campaign season. Teddy Roosevelt is running, really, for his first time to be elected president of the United States, but he is a great celebrity. People already know the kind of person that he is, and he has droves of people coming out to see him. And remember, this is 1904, and the background of these people are varied, and they're traveling 10, 20, 30 miles to see them. And again, it doesn't seem like a lot, uh, great distance in today's terms, but back then, traveling that distance was a great effort. He is viewed as a true celebrity. Here is a guy, people wanted to see this individual who was our president, who was concerned for the common man, who was a Harvard-educated society elite that had never served in an office like this before. And I think it was refreshing for the people, and they were excited about him being their president. In the campaign, Roosevelt promotes the square deal, favoring neither the rich nor the poor, corporation nor workers, that everybody has a fair shot and that government will treat everyone equally. Roosevelt, however, is not confident that he will win, but he wins in a landslide. He will then make a decision on election night that he will regret when he announces that he will not run for another term. His family is even shocked. They're looking at him while he says this, like, why would you say this? You love this office. The people love you, you have this notoriety, you're making a change, but the die is cast. And it goes back to the very first presidential podcast we talked about was George Washington. And George Washington felt there was no need for a president to serve more than two terms. And here is where Teddy Roosevelt is agreeing with George Washington and saying, 
this is my second term. I won't serve any more than this. After his inauguration in 1905, T.R. is asked to lead the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City on March 17th. He is then asked by his niece, Eleanor Roosevelt, to give her away on the same day to her fiancé, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Teddy's fifth cousin. He agrees, and unfortunately for the bride, he gets more attention at the wedding reception than she does. It is later noted that Alice Roosevelt would remark, My father always wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. In August 1905, the president has turned his attention to the Pacific, and there is an ongoing battle between Russia and Japan. He is concerned about this upheaval in the Pacific and calls for representatives from both countries to come to the East Coast and meet in New Hampshire. The parties meet and they iron out an agreement where they both can claim some form of victory. This treaty is called the Treaty of Portsmouth and ends the Russo-Japanese War. T.R. is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his leadership in creating a peaceful ending to this war. But T.R. is also well aware that Japan wants the Philippines, and he knows that the U.S. will battle Japan over the Philippines someday. Back home at the White House, the Roosevelt children enjoy their time in Washington, D.C. They have great admiration for their father, and they have many of the same traits. As you may or may not know, the Roosevelt children felt that their father was just like them, that he was another kid, that he would get down in the dirt and play with them, and they would do many of the same mischievous things that he did as a child. And this brings a different dimension to the White House. Matter of fact, the staff there, they are just not used to kids being in the White House. The Roosevelt kids have a multitude of pets. They have dogs and cats, they have rabbits, they have raccoons, and they even have a badger. Once, when the staff was not looking, they smuggled a pony that they had into the White House elevator and brought him up to the second floor to ride him around. Teddy was always willing to take time to play with his children and encourage them to be active, and this was definitely a different facet to the White House. It is now 1906, and Teddy Roosevelt seems invincible. He asked Congress for a number of national solutions to national problems and help everyone thrive in the United States. Roosevelt felt that the country had to work for everyone or it didn't work for anyone. Roosevelt gets a series of acts passed, and these acts really do change people's lives in America. First is the Hepburn Act. Now, the Hepburn Act was passed to limit the railroads. The railroads were the main source of travel and transportation of goods through America. And a few great trusts, a few great corporations owned all of the rails. So they could really, through collusion, charge whatever prices they want. The unfortunate thing is it drives up the price of goods for the people who are trying to buy these products, and they also charge the farmers and the cattlemen and the manufacturers that are trying to distribute their products across the United States. So this is where the government actually starts to regulate some of the rates, allowing the corporations to make a profit, but not an obscene profit. There was the Pure Food and Drug Act. This would later become the FDA so that all products had labels of their contents. Many times they would buy products that just had a blank label or just a clear title on what was in there, but not telling them what the ingredients are. So this changed all that. There was the Meat Inspection Act, which is rather self-explanatory. 
for the meat packers, they had to have their meat inspected before it could be distributed and sold at butcher shops. There was also the Antiquities Act. This would preserve national wonders and parks. During his presidency, Roosevelt would create 51 bird sanctuaries, four national game refuges, 18 national monuments, five new national parks, and help secure the bison from extinction. In 1907, Roosevelt decides to have the Navy go on a worldwide goodwill voyage. He has the ships painted white and stop at a variety of ports around the world as a show of strength and reflects his belief of speak softly but carry a big stick. This is known as the Great White Fleet. Since TR decides not to run again, he handpicks his successor. He decides that his vice president and good friend William Taft should serve as president to continue what TR has started. When Roosevelt leaves office, he is just 50 years of age. Post-presidency. After Teddy leaves office in 1909, he decides to go on safari in Africa with his son Kermit. They have a full entourage of servants and cooks to set up camp and carry their supplies and this safari lasts for 11 months. Teddy and Kermit kill over 512 animals, including lions, elephants, rhinoceros, and giraffes. At the end of this expedition in 1910, he meets his wife, Edith, for a three-month tour across North Africa and Europe. They visit Egypt, France, and Germany. And while in Germany, Teddy Roosevelt meets with Kaiser Wilhelm, and warns him that a battle with Britain would be a calamity. Even in Europe, Roosevelt is a celebrity and he garners big crowds wherever they go. When Roosevelt returns home in the fall of 1910, he is disappointed in his dear friend, William Taft, who has not followed through on the things that Roosevelt had started in creating a better workplace and creating more opportunity for all citizens. In February 1912, Teddy Roosevelt announces that he is a candidate for president. Roosevelt is restless. He is only 53 years of age, and he wants to get back in the action. Teddy Roosevelt's wife, Edith, is opposed to him running and knows that the Republican Party establishment will not give him the nomination. Even TR's good friend, Henry Cabot Lodge, begs him not to do this. However, Teddy Roosevelt's son-in-law, Congressman Nicholas Longworth from Ohio, felt that this is what TR needed. He saw the energy and the enthusiasm back in TR's life, and he thought this was going to be great for Teddy Roosevelt, and it's going to be great for the country. The bitter primary between Roosevelt and Taft goes on for four months. Once great friends, they are now at odds with each other. And even though Roosevelt wins many of the primaries, even the state of Ohio, which is Taft's home state, Roosevelt is denied the nomination at the Republican convention in Chicago. Roosevelt and his supporters are upset and they walk out of the convention. And the next day, Roosevelt declares that he will take a third party nomination if he is offered it. Roosevelt followers create the Progressive Party, but it is better known as the Bull Moose Party since Teddy was as tough as a bull moose. His campaign focused on progressive issues such as the women's right to vote, allowing workers to form unions, protect natural resources, and limit the workday to eight hours and six days a week, and create a government assistance program for the elderly. 
TR was confident that he could beat Taft. Everybody knew that he could beat Taft. But he was concerned about the Democratic candidate, and that was a gentleman by the name of Woodrow Wilson. Wilson was the governor of New Jersey, and he was a reformer who bucked his own party's establishment as well. So Teddy knew that it was basically two reformers, two guys that bucked the political systems who were running up against each other, and he was afraid people wanted a change. TR campaigned incessantly, but his party was not well organized, nor was it well funded as the other parties. Taft did not campaign at all because he knew that he was doomed from the beginning. One day while giving a speech in Milwaukee, Roosevelt is standing in an open-air car when a shot rings out, striking him in the ribs. Now, this bullet pierces his jacket, goes through his eyeglass case, through 50 pages of notes and lodges in his rib. He opens up his jacket and he sees the blood. He shows the people standing around and he coughs just to make sure he's not spitting up blood and he's not. So he decides to give this speech anyway. (laughs) So he stands there and gives this speech for almost 45 minutes before he finally goes to the hospital. He goes to the hospital and he is laid up for two weeks. And Woodrow Wilson, interestingly enough, decides since Roosevelt is laid up for two weeks. He will suspend his campaign for two weeks as well. It doesn't matter, though, because the election is a horrible beating. Woodrow Wilson wins easily. Roosevelt beats Taft, but nowhere near enough to take on Woodrow Wilson. And he is distraught. He knows this is the end. This is the end of the political career for him. And he slips into a depression until he is asked to assist on an expedition to map a river in South America. And he decides to take on this task, and he turns to his son Kermit and says, why don't you come with me and we'll go on this journey together and we will chart a course for this river. They go on this trip, and this this challenge almost kills them both. They both come down with malaria, and at one point in the jungle, Teddy falls and he gashes his leg. Shortly thereafter, it is infected, and he is delirious with fever. The whole group does not even know where they're going. They are lost in the jungle. They are running low on supplies. At one point, the leader of this expedition says, it's probably best if we all just take this as every man for himself. Teddy tells his son Kermit to get out of the jungle, that he is going to stay. At this point, it almost seems that Teddy is just willing to die in the jungle and to leave him behind. He's afraid that if Kermit stays with him, he will cause Kermit to die in the jungle as well. But Kermit picks him up and they work their way out of the jungle and they make it home safely. The river itself is named after Roosevelt. It is renamed Rio Roosevelt after the expedition. It is now August 1st, 1914, and World War I breaks out in Europe. This war will be known as the Great War. And T.R. and his family immediately come out and say they are in support of the British and that the U.S. should intervene. But President Wilson pushes for neutrality. From 1915 to 1916, Roosevelt goes on a campaign against Wilson and calls for U.S. involvement in the war and even pushes for the U.S. at a minimum to prepare for war. In 1917, Roosevelt petitions Congress and volunteers to help build four divisions similar to the Rough Riders to go over and fight. 
Congress agrees, and Roosevelt starts to build this team out of volunteers until Woodrow Wilson announces that he has a different plan, and it will not include Roosevelt. Roosevelt, once again, is disappointed and continues to attack Wilson. These attacks, though, do help the Republican Party win control of Congress in 1918. Teddy Roosevelt is a true blue patriot, and he instills this in his family, especially his sons, who he encourages to serve America and fight when called upon. All four of his sons fight in World War I, and three of them fight in World War II. Teddy Jr. fights in World War I and World War II and is a general that lands on Omaha Beach on D-Day and dies of a heart attack in France a short time later, but wins the Congressional Medal of Honor. Kermit fights in World War I, and while serving in World War II in Alaska, takes his own life. Archie fights in World War I and World War II, then lives on into his 80s. Quentin, TR's youngest son, is a pilot and is shot down and dies in World War I. Quentin's death in the summer of 1918 is truly devastating to Teddy Roosevelt and Edith. And just six months later, on January 5th, 1919, President Teddy Roosevelt dies in his sleep at his home in Sagamore Hill from a blood clot. He is just 60 years of age. Legacy. Theodore Roosevelt significantly changed the power and impression of the office of President of the United States. He was a Harvard-educated society elite who cared about the little man and advanced social and economic justice for all citizens. He was the first president to use the power of the press to push his initiatives when Congress was ready to squash them. He used executive orders for conservation and for aggressive foreign policy. He was extremely popular as president and is still respected today as a president that truly represented all of the people. Closing remarks. Two closing remarks I want to mention about Theodore Roosevelt and why I find his presidency so interesting. One, I grew up on Long Island, not far from Oyster Bay, New York, where Sagamore Hill was. And I have been to Sagamore Hill at least 30 times, and I have been to President Roosevelt's gravesite three or four times in my life. In addition, my grandfather served in World War I, and he served in France, as did Quentin Roosevelt. As I mentioned earlier, Quentin Roosevelt was shot down, and he died in Chambray, France. The Germans came upon Quentin Roosevelt's body, and they realized who he was, that he was President Roosevelt's son. And they quickly buried him and just left a marker that they had buried Quentin Roosevelt, the former president's son here. My grandfather's unit came upon his gravesite and erected a tombstone with more information, more appropriate for a former president's son. And Teddy Roosevelt and Edith were so moved by this that they sent a thank you note to my grandfather's commanding officer. And that commanding officer in turn had copies made of that letter and distributed it to the members of the unit. I have that letter today. It is framed and hanging in my house and is my connection to history and my connection to Teddy Roosevelt. We have talked a lot about Teddy Roosevelt, both his impact on America and the world and my family's personal connection. I wanna know what you think about the Teddy Roosevelt presidency. Go to our website at presidentialbio.com and tell us what you think. I'm Phil Tracy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Presidential Bio on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.